Oh yeah, I accidentally joined a cult, basically. We all did. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> one big cult. It's a big it, the whole thing is a cult, which is why I think it's funny to play on those terms, you know, and 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 that's why I think it's interesting the words culture and cult are so similar because any kind of culture that you join has cult elements or cult thinking to it and and that applies to exactly the clue is the clue is in the name so there's something interesting to explore there it doesn't always necessarily have to have negative connotations but for people outside of nfts that look at us and want to give it negative connotations and associate with us i think it's fun to kind of throw that around a bit and joke around it um as as we've the NFT community has done so well with things like, you know, when a year ago people were like, oh, look at those idiots trading JPEGs. And essentially we've just owned that. We've, you know, we've Tai Chi'd it. We've brought it into us. So we're now using that as like, yeah, we trade JPEG. You know, we've we've used that energy and kind of <laughs> owned it. So I think there's something interesting to also do with that around all kinds of outside criticisms and, and cult being one of them. Although we're going slightly off topic, the, the reason I say cult is because a group of us started just putting on more metaverse events, essentially, which is where the Vector Melju avatar started to come into things more. Off the back of myself and Eclectic Method making that cult, we made a, a piece called the Cult Meditation Video, which is just kind of like a joke. Like uh, he made a piece called join the cult or welcome to the cult. I can't remember. It was about a year ago. And I always looked at that and I was like, that's a really good idea. And it's like this kind of like brainwashing video where it's like cult of crypto art, join us. And I always looked at that. I was like, that's really cool. Like you can explore that more. And and like, I would love to do more kind of in-depth 3D visuals for that. So towards the end of last year, I said to him, you know, we, we say all these words. We say like, we're going to make it. You're still early. Like it's it's weird. It's like a mantra that everyone has to repeat, but there's something about it whereby, you know, we want to communicate that aspect of it. I was like, well, what if it's like a meditation video? And, and we kind of say to people, you got to watch it every day. So, you know, we made the meditation video and it's kind of this meditative journey where it's like, you're still early. You're going to, we are all going to make it. Um, <laughs> Talking about NFTs and that's nifty. That's nifty. All the great artists they come to this place to talk about the crypto space and that's nifty. That's nifty. Tonight's podcast are Tyler, Larry, and Slime Sunday. Damn, that's nifty. Yo, Vector Meldrew, welcome to That's Nifty. Thank you. I'm using my real face because you're not, this isn't video, is it? This is um, no, we don't use the video. video. Just yeah, to see I'm, each other. Yeah, it's easier. I, I use my avatar for everything online for fun, but I just thought for this, it's just audio and it's just better to talk normally. I'm yeah. a real person, not an avatar, so I haven't got a blue face. <laughs> oh, so, man, you have so much stuff going on. We like um, we were going to talk to you back in November and um, I don't know, things got caught up and like you got a million things to talk about now. That's for sure. Yeah, well, I've been, you know, just <laughs> I feel like I've been nonstop uh, for a good while. So just so much has happened. Um, probably need to take a little break after this little stint. Because it's as you can imagine, this whole world is so tiring. Um, Definitely, 
So we're not recording now, are we? We're just chatting. I record everything from the jump, okay. but like I'll cut it up or whatever. Okay, okay. Just keeping it casual, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who who are you guys on Twitter though? Yeah. Who's who's so I'm Crypto Kitch. Oh, that's you. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah and I'm I'm Tommy Noble. Yeah, or Larry. Oh, I just followed you. I just followed <laughs> you um yep. yeah, today. Sorry. Okay. Good to know who's who. Tommy Noble. Fresh follows. Yeah. And Larry's out in um in a hotel room right now, so he's off video yeah no one wants to see my my face this early anyway so uh Uh-oh. are you in <laughs> thanks NFT? for flexing for me yeah yeah are you in nftla is that why <laughs> no no actually we're i'm just down in newport we're, we're from the boston area so i uh just took a little day trip down here yesterday stayed overnight so just getting ready to oh. check out but yeah man thanks for staying flexible with us this morning oh thank you for you know doing this on a sunday on your holiday and just thank you for doing this in general so you know i'm excited to chat to you guys obviously this is this podcast has become a staple for the nft community so yeah just thanks for the work you're doing yeah and you're no uh you're no stranger to the podcast game either it seems like you have shows all over the place right yeah well yeah doing the co-hosting on defiant show every second week um and yeah, I mean, at the start of the year, um, last year, sorry, I thought I'd be a Twitch streamer. So me and my friends started Twitch streaming. And in the course of Twitch streaming, because we were both, you know, a bit disillusioned with the world and what we wanted to do. And I kept talking to him about crypto on this stream. And he was like, oh, I don't want to talk about crypto. Like, I've been working at Kraken. I'm, I'm bored of crypto. And every time I try and bring it up, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm working on my crypto art. He's like, ah, oh, mate, you know, don't talk to me about crypto. Anyway, we're doing this podcast, for, this stream for a few weeks. And then there was a point when I kind of said to him NFTs and it was like a red pill moment. And he um, basically just rang me like in penny. He was like, right, tell me everything. Like, what's, what is this thing? Anyway, it just accelerated and he got a job as the CCO of Palm. And he's since then, he's just done an insane amount of work with Palm. He did like the Hearst drop. He's doing work with um comic brands he's just gone full red pill got a really good industry job and i guess because i saw how i respect his opinions uh you know he's quite big in the tech world and i saw his reaction i was like okay this is definitely serious i and same similar time i just went full-time 24 7 nfts and uh just from those moments streaming it just made me you know it was the pandemic you want to communicate with people and it was just a good way to be like, right, this is this is the thing to focus on now. We both just focused on NFTs. So ever since then, I've just kind of liked streaming, basically. And just it keeps you updated with what's going on, because otherwise you're just in a silo, aren't you? Like the amount of information in this whole world, um, it's hard to keep up. So just the chat in the, the streaming spaces, it's just I try to do as much of it as possible. So that was your entry to NFTs, huh? Yeah, pretty much. I mean... I mean, I started before in 2020, but I didn't understand properly what it was. It was quite, it's quite a dense subject matter. Um, you know, I hadn't figured out this, this kind of, um, I haven't really got on Twitter properly. So I didn't understand the community aspect of it. So yeah, that was, that was the moment when I was like, right, this is definitely going to be a big thing. If he's excited about it, I take that as a good thing to look into more and then I just looked into it more but you know I bought I bought crypto in 2013 like early bitcoin but this is this is the thing about nfts I was um I was almost in a bubble of following crypto people probably like bitcoin maxes or people Mm. people probably still caught up in the the block size debate 
And I feel like there was a good portion of crypto type personalities and traders that really missed NFTs, you know, like they, they came quite late to it. It, re it really taught me a lot about how, you know, crypto really challenges just your sense of, um, you know, getting, getting caught in mental frameworks. Like if you believe something is a certain way, there's a high chance it could have shifted. And if you're not like uh, adapting to that soon enough, it's the difference between pleasure and pain, basically, because the whole things move so quickly and transform so quickly. You need to be on top of it all times. And yeah, I feel like I, I, in my head, I was like, right, you know, I'm going to focus on crypto. I'm going to make sure I learn about crypto over like, uh, you know, after seeing like insane drawdowns in 2017, 2018. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to really learn about this. But still, NFTs just missed me, even, even as a creative, even as a thing. So yeah, I didn't, um, it wasn't until 2020 that I saw it. And it just just felt like the perfect thing for what I wanted to do with my artwork, um, because it's like you're contributing to a bigger mission. It's exciting. It's innovative. Um, there's a lot of creative freedom. You can, you know, kind of do what you want to an extent. And it just ticked a lot of boxes from a lot of past things that I'd been working on the last, tw last, the last 20 years. And I could kind of merge them all together, essentially. Yeah. And and with that too, because I mean, we, I think we're always kind of, uh, you know, fascinated with people that are more crypto native and, and come in from, you know, that type of background into the space. So pre NFTs and, and, and not pre crypto necessarily, but like your professional career, I guess, where were you focused in terms of like, I guess, where was your, you know, vision or basically where did you take yourself professionally before you dove into NFTs? Professionally. I mean, it's shifted a lot over the years, but I've essentially always practiced some form of design or animation, either professionally for clients or also for passion projects or, you know, doing short films or music videos, things like that. Um, you know, if you take it back 20 years ago, I was a kid, in a teenage kid in his bedroom, teaching himself design software. Uh, it was a particular time in, in, in London when I grew up when um, pirate radio was a really big thing. So it was like this grassroots culture of people that broadcasted their own music through illegal FM uh, broadcast frequencies. And I loved that. Like, you know, I never really liked mainstream music. I never really liked and, and like even, you know, certain parts of art and design. And I never really, it never really resonated with me, but this whole thing of pirate radio came with its own subculture. So for instance, you know, they'd have events and the events had flyers and it, you know, the kind of music, it was like um, drum and bass, jungle, hardcore. And the aesthetics for this was just mind blowing to me. You'd get these flyers that were kind of this science fiction mix of fantasy. So uh, visually it had a really big impact on me. And, you know, musically, sonically had a really big impact on me. So, yeah, I was like 17 or so. And I just wanted to be involved in this somehow. So I would build websites, basically, that um, would promote this music. Like, you know, it was when P2P file sharing was quite a big thing. So you'd, you know, this is quite a niche music. So, and it was already kind of broadcast on pirate frequencies. So pirating it and putting it on MP3 sites like Napster and LimeWire was not really a problem because all of these people wanted to get their music out there more. So yeah, I would build websites, I'd build forums and communities to talk about this thing, similar to what we're doing now in some ways, you know, it, it wasn't as popular, but you had IRC chat rooms, which is basically the equivalent of Discord now. 
So, you know, you bring people together and then I just find ways to contribute to, you know, these people that, you know, I'd offer design services to them. I design artwork for the record labels or the flyers. And yeah, that opened the door to just a whole underground music world in London, which was really interesting because it's quite cutthroat. Um, you know, this is probably like early 2000s. Uh, it was the birth of the, a, a, a style called UK Garage had kind of come in that was off the back of drum and bass. And then UK Garage merged into grime, which essentially became the UK's version of hip hop. So it was a really exciting time where I was part of something that feels like we're part of now. You know, it's a punk movement. It's coming up um, from the underground. It's it's kind of revolting against the mainstream. There's a whole visual and sonic language and everything that comes with that. So that just excited me. And that just, uh, it, it led me to design a website for a magazine. Some people I met in the back of a record shop that had a music magazine. I, I basically built their website and translated all that pirate radio culture online, which was the first thing, first people to do it for grime music back then. And that, you know, that that opened the door to just a, a testing ground. I could do whatever I wanted with this website. So I'd make flash animation cartoons for fun, uh, which later got on, you know, when this culture built out, we had our own kind of like independent television channel. So there was a television channel in the UK called Channel U. Uh, so it made a cartoon for that. And yeah, and then, you know, I was quite young, so it all got a bit political. And I was like, right, I'm just going to basically go to university and probably learn animation properly now because I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just making it up as I go along. And uh, yeah, by the time I came out of university, that whole culture had kind of blew up a bit. So, you know, become more mainstream. There were brands that wanted to be associated with. So I kind of stepped into some good gigs whereby people like Adidas would want to be associated with this culture. And there weren't many people that could translate it creatively. So I'd have to do... Uh, creative campaigns for yeah like Adidas, Levi's, Nike, different different brands that wanted to align themselves with this music culture. And uh, I, I, there was also parts of the sound that were still underground, like the dubstep sound was still more underground. That that probably got exported a few years after that, um, which I was less involved in the mainstream side of that. But you know that's that's essentially maybe what you guys know as EDM that became so massive over there. And Again, I was more kind of just doing flyers, artwork, VJing. I really liked uh, doing live VJ performances to dubstep back then. And yeah, and after a while of doing that, I think I just, you know, it's uh, it's all very fun doing artwork and music stuff and flyers and things for your mates, music videos, etc. But, um, you know, I needed to earn money at some point. So I, st I started to do more advertising, brand work, worked on some computer games, worked on two James Bond computer games, which is, you know, really big thing back then. That was probably like 20, 2010, they made a remake of GoldenEye. So went on the advertising route for a bit and then and then got a bit kind of maybe, I, I feel like I just did my stint of advertising. I was looking for something new. Uh, I tried the Netflix route of developing stories and IP and really learned a lot about that, about how things are made. And it's quite difficult and it's very long and it was quite an expensive lesson in some ways. Uh, but at the end of that journey, uh, I, felt, I felt like we developed some really good IP. And it's the kind of thing you just develop in secret and you, you can never really show anyone because it's just all development work and, you, and it then has to go into production before you can really show people. But um, after that didn't, you know, necessarily none of the ideas got commissioned. That was when me and my friend were at this stage. It was like, okay, well, 
you know, what what do we do now? Let's just start streaming and let's just have conversations. And then through those conversations and different things, I just kind of found NFTs and we talked about it and just decided that was the best route forward for both of us and haven't really looked back. And that's, uh, and now we're here. So good. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny that, um, you know, so many things from your background must have just coalesced for NFTs where it was like underground movements and community building and that sort of stuff. Like you must have felt like this was made for you. Really did. Really did. And yeah, just, you know, the format of uh, storytelling, you know, kind of shorter stories. Whereas before, if you if you did animation and you wanted to tell a story, it, you know, you could make a film and maybe do a film festival circuit, which you know, even making a short film can be quite time consuming. Um, but I, th- I think there's something, you know, I used to teach storytelling in Sweden, a school called Hyper Island. And one of the things I always said to students was, you know, if you can, if you want to tell a story in an hour, then try and tell a story in a minute or three seconds or, you know, just the shortest possible version of that story, which is what I love about NFTs, because, you know, we're, we're kind of essentially creating longer uh, sort of shorter pieces of artwork that maybe are only a few seconds and it's like what what can you convey in that short space of time like how much can you kind of pack in there um, and then tell a longer story through the transformation or the different uh, you know through numerous mints and a wider art- artistic story so it really yeah it really connected a lot of dots and just felt it you know I haven't felt like this since 20 years ago, I haven't felt like I was part of some kind of exciting movement in the same way I did when I was back then as a teenager. It's just really rejuvenated that sense, you know, of like, not only is this kind of a perfect format for experimenting and um, expressing things and telling stories, but it's also, you know, it feels like there's a wider importance here in whatever kind of creative vision people might have. So yeah, that's really exciting to me, definitely. I think too, dude, like, like that comes through, like that, that whole essence comes through and like, you know, your, your culture cult um, project and, and like the collaborations that you do with, with people, it, it just seems like, you know, that to get, you know, nature of togetherness and in, in, in kind of being, you know, one in, in the collaborations that you do with that project. I don't know if you want to dive into that now, but I just got, you know, in doing a little bit of, a little bit of research and, and diving into that project a little bit. I, uh, in the hearing you say that it, it, I can, you know, really see the connection there between the two. Yeah, completely. I mean, you know, that's one of the most groundbreaking things about this technology, you know, like it's it makes collaboration very easily. Uh, and, and even more so now the manifold contracts is open for everyone because you can do the royalty splits really easily. So yep. it's it is, you know, the, the, the collaboration elements always been there, but now it's just, you know, technically just easy to sort out. You know, you don't have to go through the complicated process of uh trust or lawyers or potentially or anything like that so technically it's amazing but yeah it's just you know there's so many people that are really talented that you just i've got to know in the space of the last year or so and when i see certain people's work i always kind of have this sense of like oh i'd like to kind of give it a twist or i'd like to I'd, or i'd just like to get to know this person and work with them more and kind of you know their work has spoken to me and it would be cool to just you know do something to connect a bit more and essentially that's that's what that collection has been about so far just um you know it's essentially you know there are one of one piece of artwork but i guess it might fall more into the collectible category just by the format of the you know slightly repetitive nature of of the each blueprint but yeah it's i mean that that to me 
is has been one of the most exciting things about NFTs and collaboration, easy, you know, frictionless collaborations. It's just really exciting going forward, I think. And it cuts out yeah, a lot I mean, of fluff too. Like there's no labels involved, you know, it's just you guys splitting royalties in perpetuity, you know, like forever. Secondary sales will always gain you those royalties and like just makes it easier for everyone that's a creative to finally profit off what they've been creating forever. Mm, completely. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's kind of what we'd always be missing really with digital work because, you know, for so long, you know, you. this is what I, I mean, I've said this a few times, but there was a sense that when, we, you know, creating before, maybe if you're creating for something for Instagram or you're creating something as a personal piece, you know, an example I'll give is that I created a music video and I just created it for my friend Addison Groove and I created it essentially for free because I didn't, I didn't really like that whole world necessarily of pitching for music videos and, you know, the whole director's roster and politics that comes with that. But I just wanted to make something cool for my friends. But at the back of my mind, I, I, although in, I start off like, right, I just want to do something cool. I just want to test out some things that I've been learning and put it into a narrative and just create what I want to create. But even when you're doing that, you're kind of thinking, oh, man, this is taking me three months. And like, I hope maybe there's a client job at the end of this or, you know, maybe Nike, hopefully Nike will reach out to me. But then at the same time, that's kind of bad for the process because then you're second guessing and hoping that somebody can stick a trainer in there and sell a product, which, you know, isn't really isn't really true to what the creativity should be. But maybe it's just a fear in the back of your mind. I mean, it's safe to say that, that video is so weird that Nike would never, never did reach out to me and probably never would because it's just, it's just not suitable, which is what I love now where it's like, I don't have to second guess thinking, Oh, what client might like this or, you know, what could this um, lead to? Now it's just more a pure sense of creative expression and saying what I want to say. And if, and if somebody reaches out or some brand or something reaches out the back of that, great, but that's, you know, uh, I guess you're less, now that there's a direct market for what you're making, it's just take some of that pressure off of the future of, you know, the, how you might steer um, a personal project previously. I think that creative freedom is like, you know, one of the most you know, beautiful parts of this space where you, you can truly get a sense to what an artist is trying to push across, whatever the medium is, without having some commissioned piece or however you want to put it in terms of, you know, someone controlling what's actually going out there. And, and, and it's so early too, like it's such an, in its infancy, just in terms of uh, the space in general, it's just super exciting to kind of see. And me and Tyler, you know, are kind of sitting here with such a long-term outlook on the space that, you know, we're, we're excited for people like yourself who can kind of express exactly what you're trying to put across, you know, and, and be the medium yourself and be the medium yourself and kind of control what, what's put out there. So I feel like that's something that doesn't necessarily get talked about as much, but is super important just because of the creative freedom and what people like yourself can produce with that creative freedom. And I think the culture might change like down the road. Like we're going to see the effects of this years from now when artists aren't creating things to fit into a cookie cutter mold for those commercial projects, right? They're creating what they feel, what they want to convey. And maybe that switches everything around to those corporations now thinking that aesthetic is cool and that that's what I want to target and it's reversing the roles really. And I can't wait to see what that produces like culturally. Completely. Yeah, completely. And and this is why I, it, it makes me remember what I loved about uh, these, these rave flyers 
um, which I, I don't know if you have as much context of when I talk about these, maybe in America. I don't know if it was such a thing. Yeah, I think it's it's niche areas. Like in New York City, there's places in like near Boston, like in the Austin area. I think there was a lot of like warehouse rave parties with the flyers. And so we're familiar with those. And yours are conveying the human experience to an alien audience, right? <laughs> Completely, completely, exactly. You know, like that's the that's what I loved about um, this kind of certain subsection of, I guess it's essentially 1990s rave flyers. And, you know, the concept always kind of science fiction fantasy, um, but they were always quite positive. You know, they, they were never really too dystopian. So it's the idea that through the artwork, you know, you, you're essentially, you're, you're telling you stories and you could paint a picture of, this kind of imaginary future. So yeah, that the ray flies the aliens thing is, uh, you know, I just kind of thought like, you know, what if there was a party on earth, which is the human experience, which we're all having, and we're advertising that, you know, intergalactically, that's what I'd like to kind of promote. You know, we're, we're essentially, I'm trying to get this idea of the human experience into a visual and so that maybe some kind of, outside entity might understand it i love it they're amazing <laughs> i do too i do too i love it so i i don't know if this would be too hard of a pivot here but i noticed how recently your genesis uh super rare piece just dropped and sold to uh is it basilis i i know that we're familiar with that name and probably just butchered it but this is uh a topic that's always interests me in terms of the the super rare the curation and uh tyler knows this is one of my go-tos but like What's the thought process and, and feeling of minting that piece, that first piece on Super Rare? Uh, I guess what's the onboarding process? I guess kind of walk us through what the um, what that was like for you. Yeah, I mean, yes, I guess it's Super Rare is always that one, isn't there? That there's always a lot of friction around um, because a lot of a lot of people seem to want to get on there, um, and I guess fewer people actually get on there than the want to get on there. And, you know, it's the, you know, specializing one of ones, which is arguably the harder part of selling art, you know, selling, selling the one of ones that the collectible market seemed to take off in the last year. Um, but there's, there's, I really think there's something beautiful about one of ones. Um, and I would like to, to attempt to do, you know, or focus on, on one of ones. I do, I do love them. So, you know, I, I did a piece with, a guy called Eclectic Methods. We did a collaboration and that hit on Super Rare. So that gave me some, some eyes from the, the Super Rare wider community. And yeah, like I just wanted to start, but I only got on Super Rare recently, by the way, is is a recent development. Obviously had been applying for a while, getting to the point where I was, you know, I was feeling like, do they even read these applications? I'm not too sure if they do. You know, a lot of people say that on Twitter, like maybe they checked their Google Drive and there's zero views. Um, but yeah, like I'm, <laughs> I'm incredibly lucky to have to have gotten there and start that one of one journey. And it was it was at a time when I'd got on there, but it felt weird to celebrate it because, you know, there were certain events happening in the world. And so I held off really minting. But I, but, you know, the, the, the feeling that I got around about that time was just, you know, some of my work can be quite weird right? It can get weird quickly. I like making weird stuff, but I just wanted people to know that whatever happens from here is starting from a place of love. So just keeping it very simple 
Um, and maybe that's a platform to then be allowed to get more weird in the future. That's the first thing I noticed when I looked at the piece. I was like, oh, that says love. Like it took me a minute, but I got it. Kind of abstract. Yeah. I love, you know, I, um, my background is graphic design. So I, I spent a good few years just designing my own typefaces, um, of which I have a, you know, a handful of typefaces that I've never made into like proper fonts, like a font file, but I just have them as vectors that I, I throw into pieces of my artwork where possible. Cause I feel like, you know, I, I like to create as many of my own um, aspects to 3D as possible. Like I like to create my own textures, either generated textures uh, through 3D software or some other software or actual like hand painted textures. I use a lot of my own different, different types of painting method, maybe like spray paints or pens or something, but I use it more in an abstract way that's not obvious, but I like using my own assets. So with that, yeah, I, that's a custom typeface. Um, again, I have a few of them and I, and I weave them into pieces of artwork where possible. But I just like the idea that, you know, you can kind of, when you're creating these imaginary worlds, you know, you can create your own imaginary characters, you can create your own imaginary language. And that's how you really start to maybe build something up and have some consistent language or style that runs throughout. Um, so yeah, it's not immediately obvious. Maybe it says love, it takes a bit of time, but I like that. I like, I, I you know, I, I grew up on graffiti culture and that kind of like fine line between legible and illegible. And, you know, so much graffiti, you have to stand there and you're like, well, what does it even say? I don't know, but I like that. I like it when it's abstract. I like it when it, or when I don't know what it says. Um, and this is just another facet of the design world that I found difficult because I like stuff that's illegible, but clients don't, you know? So like, <laughs> <laughs> funnily enough. So, <laughs> so, you know, that's why I, another reason why I never really fit into that world is because I would just do something weird or something illegible. And I was like, I like it aesthetically, but the client would be like, can't read it. I was like, okay, well, I guess, you know, this is to sell a product or something. I guess you need to read it. But yeah, I like, I like things that kind of have to make you look a bit longer. So what's the significance of this frequency, 528 hertz? So... I like the idea, you know, I, lo I love the idea, sounds, like sound systems, frequencies. It's something that I grew up on. Like there, there's a deeper element to what I love about raves and raving, essentially. You know, there's there's a whole frequency band that you can experience. And so it, the thing that got me into this frequency range nerdism, I guess you'd call it, is I used to live in Bristol. And in Bristol... Um, again, the dubstep scene was kicking off and there was just a kind of very niche group of producers that held events. And it's, it's quite hard to find these days because you need, you need a certain combination of like a good promoter, a good sound system, the DJs that would play that kind of music and a producer that works in certain frequencies. So I learned about the concept of below 30 hertz which is essentially a frequency you can't even hear, hear you just feel. And it's like your, your, your um, rib cage rattles and your hair stand up and your kind of nose itches. And it's, it's essentially, you know, some kind of transcendental experience, but in, in the context of maybe a party or a rave. But you know, that's why I think there's a deeper level to things like parties, essentially. Sometimes it gets lost when it gets ex um, exported or commercialised and you have these big festivals and you don't quite get that same intimate experience. But in London, it was quite, 
it was a big thing. There was a night called Forward, which is just in a basement and it's just a concrete room. And a lot of these sounds essentially started there. And it was just, everyone had this collective experience of like rattling, you know, vibrations that, you know, you could talk over it, but you could, everyone could collectively feel it, uh, you know, down to like the atoms in your body is essentially moves them in such a way that you know it, it can transform them but it tr can transforms everyone collectively in a way that you're all sharing this experience so it really just it peels back a lot of layers that people might have of I don't know some kind of projections of um you know attachments they might have or identity it kind of gives everyone this collective experience which is what I love about sound systems parties and raves so in my recent years where I've got maybe less into that and maybe into these other frequencies which is more essentially healing frequencies which work on you know other levels that maybe you know maybe when you're working there's a concept of something called binaural beats so maybe binaural beats help you work because of the way these frequencies work in either one of your ears so the five to eight frequency is supposed to be the love frequency that makes you experience love uh, is, can also be called solfregio frequency. So for some of my pieces, I, I, I've been working with a couple of different producers, but both, both who understand this concept of frequencies, binaural beats, etc. And yeah, just been experimenting with ways to essentially produce them. And then I want to put them into the artwork. But the, the funny thing about the frequency stuff is it's, you know, it's very mellow, it's very chilled. But then I also tread this line of, you know, I love jungle music, which is like far, fast, hard. And, you know, the Nifty Gateway drop is, is essentially heavily influenced by that. So I'm just, I feel like I'm always treading this line of these two extremes of having a foot in either world of like crazy, intense, fast paced, loud world, and then just like heavily chilled, more kind of healing frequencies, meditative world. I can't believe I've actually heard of binaural beats. Like that's something I used to mess with when I was like 17, 18 years old. Cause like they would have, I think it was on file sharing sites where they would be like, this is the one that's like weed or whatever. And it would pump one <laughs> frequency in and then one on the other ear and you'd sit in a dark room and I don't know, something would happen to you, you know, and they would have libraries of these different binaural beats you could listen to. And it's crazy, man. And I just learned something about frequencies the other day that kind of blew my mind. And you may have already knew this, but like in the 1800s, like the different notes were actually tuned to like a different frequency. And now we play our instruments higher than we used to in like the 1800s. Really? Yeah. Wow. So like I was, I went down a Reddit rabbit hole because there was a, like a 10 year old opera singer that was singing like a Mozart song. And I went through the comments and went through this weird rabbit hole of like, I guess in Europe, like, for example, I don't know if this is true, but like an A would be like at 180 hertz or something. And then like in the U.S., it would be around 200 or whatever. And then after the war, the U.S. shipped a bunch of instruments over to Europe. And instead of trying to like retune them to make them work, they just conform to that frequency. Wow. That's so interesting. I, I also went down a rabbit hole not so maybe in, uh, a while ago. So I can't remember the intricacies of it but it was essentially how um again like some frequencies have been limited a few years ago probably also after the war it might even be the same topic but how 
Um, there was absolutely no reason for it whatsoever. At least people can't figure out the reason for it. But the the native file format for essentially a lot of music streaming or radio, again, the frequency was limited. Like music has a much larger frequency. And maybe it was the same thing you're talking about, but it was just um, the request for the file when you have a radio song, it has to be within a certain frequency. And they're basically taken out some of those more powerful frequencies, but for no real reason. So essentially like a lot of these radio songs cause like, or, or are speculated to cause in some ways like low level anxiety because they don't, ah. they don't quite hit the same ranges. So it's like, you know, you go around a shop and there's always this kind of like low level radio sounds or whatever, like is but it's there. Skinny. You know, it's yeah. like missing the bottom, like it's yeah. a low pass filter or something. Completely, completely. Which again, is just one of those things about music, what experiencing it, to experience it to its full potential, there's so much that kind of needs to go into it. Because even if a producer makes a track, they how they hear it on their like beautifully set up studio is not how it, they then need to learn the mastering techniques of how that will then um, sound on a mobile phone, but also sound on a sound system. So it's, it's going to be one file for a mobile phone and sound system. So they have to do basically clever kind of engineering and mastering, but you lose a lot of it. And that's why like particular subsets of communities and people that understand how to put on music events and know like what kinds of music to play, what kind of sound systems to hire, what kind of rooms and acoustics are needed, then if you can find those kind of people uh, or those events in those communities, you can have very powerful experiences with music that it's not really possible to have listening on Spotify or listening on your radio. So it's, it's you know, it's something that maybe is, could stand to get lost in some ways, you know, the more we move away from live events and it's something that I, I found very powerful in my life and very interesting and I've loved those experiences. So I always want to find ways to, you know, communicate parts of that through the work, you know, even if it's just going into detail about frequencies or, you know, nodding towards this concept of sound system culture. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's something primal in a lot of people that um, you, you respond to, you know, it brings you into your body to have that experience with music, uh, which I think is just becoming increasingly important in today's world where we're essentially often in our heads and in a different kind of state, you know, we're more in a survival state or thinking about some kind of anxiety cause on social media or something, you know, it's, it's, it's at the other end of the spectrum to that. So yeah, I find, I find that stuff really interesting. It also like lends to the point of like, you know, you, you can control like, you know, you don't need like a full track. You, if you're controlling frequencies like that, you're, you basically can, you know, compress it into a, uh, you know, in NFT and make it more, you know, applicable for, for, you know, that type of, uh, message that you're, you're trying to put across. So it's like, you know, a cross section between, you know, actual music NFTs and then, and then, you know, kind of really delving into the frequency side and, and uh, honestly, Tyler, that was a pretty sweet history lesson. I think you just delved on us. That was, It's uh, really weird. Man. I just came across my desk like yesterday. Like I learned about yeah. that and to talk about frequencies today is like mind blowing. Yeah. yeah. I think, I, I think it's a cool little like niche area to explore, you know, uh, with this because it's the first i've really you know heard of it in terms of like the sensory uh, you know aspects of it and um you know i think you can totally dive into that more like like that that's cool to me and, and I, I think there's you know numerous avenues you can take that down 
I think yeah. we buried the lead though. You mentioned a nifty gateway drop. <laughs> nifty gateway drop. That's true. It's good. It's good lead into a shill. There is a there is a nifty gateway drop. <laughs> we're cordial shills. Yes. It, we honestly like like I don't know when we're talking to folks. I I I never consider them shills. It's like, dude, this is the work that you put in, and you're you're basically just explaining it. You know, so. Um, yeah, dude, we got to we got to look at the assets that you sent over. Thanks for giving us a little peek at that. So if you want to dive into, you know, kind of your thinking and structure and, and what you're putting out there for for Nifty, that's yeah, super exciting. You want to dive in? Yeah, I thank think you. I mean, for context, sorry. this won't come out till the seventh, so don't say anything you shouldn't say for the audience there. Oh, I don't know what I should say. I think I can pretty much say anything, but yeah, you can. Yeah. <laughs> I, can say, I can say what I want. I'm a free yeah. man. <laughs> um yeah i mean you know this is in some ways uh an evolution or a transformation from what i've done before it's not immediately the same as my previous mints in some ways it is in some ways it isn't there are elements that nod towards those but you know it's essentially this like you know the the vector meldrew character or avatar that i've developed I've just enjoyed playing with that online and it's something that, uh, you know, has, has kind of developed a metaverse presence in the fact that we've been putting on events uh, led by essentially, yeah, a group, a group that I will refer to as the cult of crypto art. Oh yeah. I accidentally joined a cult basically. We all did. Yeah, exactly. It's one big cult. It's a big. It, the whole thing is a cult, which is why I think it's funny to play on those terms, you know. And 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 that's why I think it's interesting. The words culture and cult are so similar because, you know, you kind of any kind of culture that you join has cult elements or cult thinking to it, and and that in applies to exactly yeah. the clue is the clue is in the name. Um, so there's something interesting to explore there. It doesn't always necessarily have to have negative connotations, but for people outside of NFTs that look at us and want to give it negative connotations and associate with us, I think it's fun to kind of throw that around a bit and joke around it, um, as as with the NFT community has done so well with things like, you know, when a year ago people were like, oh, look at those idiots trading JPEGs. And essentially we've just owned that with, you know, we've, um, essentially, you know, Tai Chi did. We brought it into us, and we're now using that as like, yeah, we trade JPEGs. It's you know, we've we've used that energy and kind of <laughs> owned it. So I think there's something interesting to also do with that around all kinds of outside criticisms and and cult being one of them. But um, although we're going slightly off topic, the, the reason I say cult is because. Uh, a, a group of us started just putting on more metaverse events, essentially, which is where the Vector Meldew avatar started to come into things more. Um, off the back of myself and Eclectic Method making that cult, we made a, a piece called the Cult Meditation video, which is just kind of like a joke. Like uh, he made a piece called Join the Cult or Welcome to the Cult. I can't remember. It was about a year ago. And I always looked at that and I was like, that's a really good idea. And it's like this kind of like brainwashing video where it's like cult of crypto art, join us. And I always looked at that. I was like, that's really cool. Like you can explore that more. And and like, I would love to do more kind of in-depth 3D visuals for that. So towards the end of last year, I said to him, you know, we, we say all these words, we say like, 
we're going to make it. You're still early. Like, it's it's weird. It's like a mantra that everyone has to repeat. But there's something about it whereby, you know, we want to communicate that aspect of it. I was like, well, what if it's like a meditation video? And, and we kind of say to people, you've got to watch it every day. So, you know, we made the meditation video and it's kind of this meditative journey where it's like, you're still early. You're going to, we are all going to make it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's just fun. It was fun. But off the back of that, we just we just started connecting more. And obviously he he he's been DJing um every every day for the last year or a few years. Well, I know him like from VJ. Like when I used to be a VJ, he was one of the coolest VJs. Like he was always known as like a technically one of the best, you know, his remix style of remixing videos or remixing culture and putting into that format. Like he's got a very long history of just being like very technically and creatively proficient and you know, a figure in certain communities. He was more in the kind of, he made his name more in the tech community than maybe like the music community. But as a niche figure, he was respected. So a lot of, when I was a VJ, I was kind of more essentially just just going to nights and VJing. But when we started to work together more, it kind of like rekindled my passion for VJing. So I would, I would do events alongside him. And I would, I'm, you know, my favorite music, or the music I like VJing to the most is jungle music, as I've expressed, you know, my relationship with it and what it meant to me back then. So I was like, right, well, that's what I loved as a kid. That's what I want to start conveying now. So started doing um, jungle music sets with visuals with my avatar as at like metaverse parties. So we'd do things, for instance, the Vauxhall Hotel. Uh, We'd done things for Decentraland, Known Origin. We did an... A party for X copy. But the more I developed this character, the more I wanted to, yeah, like go into it more, uh, develop it more. And with the cult element, that that, that became more of a thing. So uh, there was this idea of the cult choir. And there's a few DJs now that kind of, you know, we all, we're all trying to push forward this, you know, we believe that, you know, to create uh, crypto art or NFTs as more of a, an actual thing that's uh, has an outward facing, you know, uh, image that's an important part in mainstream culture. You kind of need to create your own own culture, and and that's where the idea of these events come in. Uh, so I just wanted to go more into that idea of of Vector Meldrew, explore the you know the jungle sounds, the the amen breaks that are used in the drop, and yeah, just do something that kind of says. This is Vector Meldrew. This is what he's about. And then just hint at all these different kind of things that I'm involved in. So whether it's the, the crypto art cult thing or the wide, the wider, you know, the, the way the avatar is used for these events, just kind of stick a, a, a flag in the ground and be like, this is Vector Meldrew. This is what he's about. And you have some videos out there of like, it's 360 VR DJ sets, right? That you guys are doing in like Decentraland and stuff? Yeah, one of them. One of them. So the cult meditation tape, I play that before every set, uh, just as a fun thing, because it's a good intro. And yeah, one of them was uh after I'd made that video, just as an extra to the collector who was Basilis, I just said, you know, here you go, here's a 360 VR version. So that you know we can maybe host the metaverse event and we can invite people to watch this in uh, VR and, and potentially even in the future in in the physical event in a physical format. So 
Yeah, I think there's, you know, when you're working with these short film kind of format things, I think it's good to think about how you could integrate that into an experience. So the idea was that the, the 360 VR version would be um, just, you know, more of a brainwashing experience for in, in, indoctrinate, cult indoctrinate indoctrinees what's the word indoctrinate indoctrinees i like that indoctrinees recruits the funny thing is though i tell you something my it all this cult talk i know it sounds crazy but weirdly last year um i have an astrologist who i speak to and and last year she said to me in in q1 2022 she's like don't join a cult I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to join a cult. Who do I look like? And now we're sitting here. It's, you know, the end of Q1. I've basically joined about five cults and accidentally started one. So I don't know. What's the worst that can happen? Hopefully astrology is bullshit and it doesn't mean anything. But she just said definitely don't join any. And I've joined loads. So She planted that seed in your head. I know. Yeah, she, I know. She didn't say don't start one. Well, that's true. That's true. Exactly. So... I don't know what's going to happen. What's the worst that could happen? I don't know. So there's four pieces, right, on Nifty Gateway. That's April 12th, right? There's three pieces. One of the pieces you saw was a trailer. But, yeah, there's three pieces, yeah. Yeah. Do you know any about the uh, the drop format or anything like that? That's probably the thing that I can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't figured it out. Um, I'm still, I'm still um, getting my head around some of that stuff. I think people, resp- you know, like – there's a, a respect level too when it's like you, people are figuring this out on the fly in a way you know like so i don't think there's anything to be shamed about for not having not having it done yet because it's it's a it's a big deal and it's it's like one of the most important things and then it's like okay i've i've, I've completed what i what my vision was and now i need to like how do i price this for consumers you know so it's it's i don't, I don't think it's a light topic to even just kind of brush over so you know I, yeah, it's like it's the weird with, part for the artist side, right? Where it's like, I just yeah. want to make my art, and then now I have to do this business part of like figuring out what the price of that and the way the the space moves. Like, you could have a, a plan now that's not the same right before the drop, you know. So that's it's always difficult to nail that stuff down. Yeah, completely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I finished that two days ago, and and you were the first people to see it. So I'm kind of at the stage where I I just thought I focus on the art, get the art to a place I'm happy with, which always takes longer than you think and now we've got a week or so before the drop and I'm, I'm going to start focusing on that stuff this week um but yeah I you know I put so much into making the art you know those those kind of decisions is I don't know it's good to I think it's good to do the art first and then figure those out yeah those are always last for totally, sure totally mm. I mean, we talk to a lot of people that have like a nifty gateway drop coming up. We've talked to them a week out and sometimes they haven't even delivered the assets yet. So like, <laughs> I understand it's a, uh, it's a lot of work to try to fit into these like deadline pockets, you know, it's tough. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing how, you know, I love this world. I love, I love the intensity of it and I love all the different ways it stretches me to learn so many about it and so much about all these things. And it's just such a funny contrast because, like I say, the, the route I was trying to take before this was the idea of developing IP for long form animation series, TV, film, etc. And most of the development work never saw the light of day and dealing with people like Netflix, Apple, etc. And it moves so slowly. It's unbel- you can you can take a year just to get a oh, maybe like and it's like, OK, so this world is like the opposite. It's like mega fast. You've got to, you know, 
build things as you go and you've got to figure out things as you go and you've got to you know you have all these new decisions and although it is difficult I definitely if I had to choose between the two of like moving really slowly and not really knowing what's happening or what's going to happen I'd choose this every day I I like the kind of fast-paced it's you know not to say that it's um you know there's um things you have to be aware of like mental health wise and staying sane in this crazy world of social media driven financial so true. art world you know it's 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 so weird in some ways to experience because also it's never really been experienced before and we're doing it for the first time uh and we don't really know where that ends mentally so it's definitely worth being careful but i there's something about it that i i thrive in to a degree and i, and I enjoy yeah and having taken a look at the pieces like everyone's going to be very, very impressed with them. I think they're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, there was one other um, project you're working on that I haven't got to ask you about, which was the B-sides. Yes. Yes, that is, that's an interesting one, actually. So that is a slow burner because um, we want to do it right. Um, so to me, the, the the vision for that is explaining decentralization to normies if i have to put it like that it's 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 different to my other work but this this is uh again with my friend that i said that i was streaming with who's now cco of palm matt mason we met when 20 years ago so when i when i talk about this the website that i started he he was the editor of the magazine to do with the website and it, it was basically me and him that were very aligned on our views creatively we really wanted to push grime music and we just stayed in touch ever since. We've stayed in touch for 20 years. We've worked on different things over that time, stayed friends. And um, Broadside or B-Side has got two names. There's, uh, we're still, there's different part, facets to it, but essentially the, real, the, the full name of the project is Broadside. And it was something that we, one of these IP ideas that we pitched to Netflix and Netflix rejected it which I understand because it's about things like piracy and decentralization, which is a hard topic for maybe like a centralized movie streaming platform, which is <laughs> kind of like saying, hey guys, piracy isn't that bad and let's decentralize stuff. So, but this, but you know, to me, I'm, I am passionate about um, a perception shift. You know, I'm not saying that the world would be some utopian, amazing place if everything was decentralized. But I think there are aspects of decentralization that could be quite positive. Um, but I think most people don't even really get the concept of what that means in normal terms. So the job of going from where we are now to where we could be involves a shift in thinking. And, the, and, and we, we both think that the way to cause that shift is, is through stories, through basically explaining to people and explaining on you know in a way that conveys things to younger generations especially so the broadside project has been written it's been written for years you know before bitcoin was invented in fact when i saw bitcoin in 2013 the reason i understood it and bought it was because i'd been working with matt and he's he'd explained to me decentralization and i'd read the script or the working script for broadside and i was like, okay decentralization bitcoin i get this that i can see why it's important and and that's and that's what got me involved in this whole space in the first place the decentralized aspect so 
the script has been written. It's been written as a, a book. It's been written as a feature film format. It got reworked into a series format for Netflix. We've done development concept artwork. We've done all kinds of things behind the script, the scenes. But the thing we want to do is just um, present it correctly. So when NFTs came about, we had a lot of conversations about how we do that. Um, and it was in like the PFP craze. And we were like, oh, we should do a PFP project because, you know, um, but then, you know, there's, there's, I think it's now transpired that there are certain pitfalls with that PFP craze. You know, you're just going to get people harassing you about a floor price and you, all these kind of community management aspects that you need to navigate very sensibly. I mean, our main, you know, our thing is, it's written, like it's it, it's there, it's ready for people to write. Everyone, a lot of these other projects are kind of speculating like, hey, we're gonna make a comic, we're gonna make a game, we're gonna, you know, there'll be a book eventually, just invest now and we'll do that down the line. Right. Which is in some ways is insane because we've been through this journey of pitching IP and I've worked in the games industry and we understand how hard it is to get these things off the ground and not only to get them off the ground, but to make them good. Uh, to make an engaging script and all these kind of things. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a very difficult thing. And um, we we both really believe in the script we have and the fact that you know it's ready for people to read. But uh, we just want to launch it in the right way. So we haven't FOMO'd into anything. We didn't FOMO into the PFP craze. But it's there. It's ready. It just needs a bit of. A slight bit of creative development work and maybe a bit of strategy to think about how we um, put that out there, um, which we're, yeah, we're focused on doing the right way. And the, the, the thing is about it, the, the struggle that I find is that we want to launch it to, to crypto native people, but also it's a story in some ways for non-crypto native people to understand crypto and decentralization. So by pitching it now you're kind of already pitching to the preaching to converted but yeah. you know the idea is that maybe those converted already converted people might see it as a um a foundation or platform for wider adoption and wider perception shifts and more people to understand so it's a weird thing that we're trying to do where we want it to be crypto native nfts are the perfect media distribution format for that but the story is more geared around like you know, the average person might watch it at the cinema and be like, oh, I now understand this concept of what all these idiots online are talking about with all this decentralization stuff now. Maybe it makes a bit more sense. Um, so, yeah, there's nuances there that we're just still working through. Um, maybe it'll come out this year. Maybe it'll come out next. I think it needs to come out. It's, it's very important it does come out because it's, it's a story that's essentially pushes forward this wider mission. And it's a story that's been developed for almost a decade now and it doesn't really need any speculation on what it is because it's already written it's not like we're going to ask for funding to try and make something and then hopefully it'll be good it's it's been developed already so yeah we'll see what happens with that but i think it's a great idea you know like twofold like putting it in the hands of crypto native people can turn them into evangelists they have something to point to to non-crypto native people to be like look check this out this will explain everything i've been trying to tell you because that's something that larry and i have trouble doing like regular people in our life where we're trying to explain what's going on here sometimes we can't form the perfect package to like describe everything that's going on we're like just listen to the podcast 
you'll need like 10 episodes before you really start to grasp it. But like, this sounds like a better way to package up that message. Completely, completely. And I think and that's, you know, the best way to kind of, this is why stories are so important and positive stories. And it's a shame that so much science fiction over the past few decades has always been quite dystopian. And there aren't many writers that necessarily always give this, there's a whole brand for utopian science fiction. I can't remember what it's called, but there, there's a certain name for it. And it's never really very popular. So it's a hard thing to do well. And in some ways we're kind of doing that. Like we're, it's, it's a, well, it's more so that this world is what a decentralized, it looks utopian, but it needs a, but it's actually dystopian underneath the surface. And it needs some decentralized thinking to kind of shift these negative um, dystopian aspects to it to a more positive aspect. So you kind of get a slight dystopia, but it's not like conveyed in the visuals like Terminator, you know, weird kind of. Right. And you you have to toe the line, too, because people are now wary of like toxic positivity where we're like, okay, we get it. Like we're early and we're all going to make it. But like that (laughs) after a while, like it gets it grates on you, you know. Well, yeah, it does. It does. But I, I think that we're just at a stage now where we're waiting for those new stories. We've been through this whole world of like dystopian science fiction. We've, we've kind of arrived there. Like we've sleepwalked into the, this this world where we're just slightly desensitized. We're dehumanized. We're, you know, we have a sensory overload from things like social media or, or, or the, the way that technology has infiltrated our life. Like we're there now. You know, this this is it. Um, so it's like, what is what is the next vision for the future? Um, because some people find this current uh, technical future quite difficult to, to survive in. So, yeah, th- th- that's why I think there's, you know, a positive thing that can be done. You don't have to be like all toxic positivity and we're going to make it, etc. But it's more like you can give a, a, a positive vision to people through the artwork and i and i think that that is wanted to to a degree you know and and i think that that is also you know the job of the artist because it's the artist who can essentially look into the future or create a vision of the future and you know just by doing that and creating that that essentially becomes a reality you know and and that's that's what's happened in the past with the reality we're kind of in now in our relationship with technology and now there's the opportunity say like well we've arrived there what is the next myth we're creating what what is this next world so yeah you know it doesn't have to be all like you know uh green energy and like flying cars and everything's amazing because i'm sure that world would be quite weird but it's more like what what is the next advancement of humanity that could make people feel more human and and less desensitized and and and, and more safe you know and on a wider level you know that's why that's why i think you know relate to the to the love piece because i think that is an important part of it as well like you know how, how do we create less hate in the world um we don't have to say that's necessarily toxic positivity but it's i think it's an interesting place to start from yeah yeah definitely i i commend you on you know spreading that that message and i can't wait to hear the story once broadsides is you know in our hands we'll see how long we'll see how long it takes we'll see we'll see what happens it's 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 just so funny because it's we've we've both gone fully into this world and 
Um, Matt Mason is just, you know, he's just become incredibly busy. I mean, if you see the output from Palm and the amount of things they've achieved in basically a year, you know, that they haven't been around that long. It's, it's insane. It's really is insane. So that's the network that nifties.com uses, right. For like the matrix avatars. Yeah. And yeah. 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 yeah that, I mean, you know, look, look at they've done the matrix project. They've done, I think they had a, a DC or Marvel project, the Hearst, new, numerous Hearst drops. Uh, they've, they've got portion on their network, which is, you know, another NFT platform, which has done various successful drops. Um, you know, they've done a lot of stuff. And it's only yeah. been a year. Um, and, you know, they've got, they've kind of cornered that part of the market where, you know, it's, it's a, it's a greener, more sustainable side chain. To and theory. lower cost usually for a lot of the work too. Yeah. Lower cost. So, you know, I, mean, I, I think the layer two side chain type thing is uh, we'll see how that plays in to Ethereum 2.0 and all the things that come with that, it, you know, it, I think it's interesting to explore. I think there's definitely a place for some of those things. Yeah, I think in closing, like I was looking at a, a tweet that you had out that, you know, celebrating a good end to this week, you know, so the Super Air Genesis we touched on, you touched on the auction closure for Culture Cult. Um, you're in a, a full week of vacation right now, a little holiday in the countryside or what's going on with that? Oh, no, I, no, I've, I'm not. Well, I feel like I'm on vacation. Every day. I've moved. I've relocated to the countryside. I've lived in London my whole life. Uh, well, I lived in Bristol for six years, but that's also a city. But I've lived in London for pretty much almost life. But in the past two weeks, I've just relocated to the countryside. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's like living in paradise every day. I can't believe I didn't do it sooner. You know, it's, I've, I've got clean air. Um, <laughs> it's, which is a big thing in London. There's so much pollution. And um, just everything here is conducive to a healthy lifestyle. Uh, you know, just really high quality, like food produce, in, in the village that I'm in, you can, you can eat local farm produce essentially everywhere. Um, it, it's just been quite a big shift for me because, um, I, you know, I've got, I've, I've got very into this hyper real technology world and especially, you know, with the metaverse events and um, doing so much of that activity online, essentially all of my friends have become online friends that I talk to quite often. Uh, and, you know, I stopped living the London lifestyle years ago, you know, of whatever that entails, like restaurants or parties or things like that. I, I stopped that a good while ago. Um, but yeah, in recent years, just gone fully, you know, I love the metaverse. I, I think there's so much to explore there. But doing that, living in a city, and essentially because I was also living in a flat or apartment in the city, um, it's not conducive to uh, a healthy lifestyle and, and, and a, good, a good state of mental health sometimes because... Um, you know, there's just so much against you in your environment. So, yeah, I just wanted to change my environment to be have a essentially you know, develop a better connection with nature. You know, I can I, before I did this, I I swam in a lake in in a cold lake. So, you know, things Love like it. that. Yeah, that's that's the kind of lifestyle I want to to live. You know, like wild swimming um, as often as possible, walks in nature. You know, healthy eating uh, consumption habits. And I feel with that, I, I'll be able to do my job better in this kind of hyper real, weird metaverse, social media art world, basically. Yeah, because when you're living in the metaverse and the hustle and bustle of like the NFT space, 
when you take that off and you get out of there, like you don't want to be in the hustle and bustle of the city. Now you get a change of pace, you know? Yeah, completely. It's, um, yeah, it's, it just needs some balance, really. I think everything's about balance and that world is so one-sided that the only other, the opposite end of the spectrum is essentially nature and yeah. understanding nature better and having a better connection with that whole world and your body and everything that comes with that. So yeah, that's, that, that's what I'm looking to develop more now that I'm in, in this environment. So at the end of that tweet, you said you have two exciting announcements. I'm guessing one of those is the Nifty Gateway drop, right? Yes, two, two of them. Uh, well, yeah, essentially this will be out by then. So the first exciting announcement is the Culture Cult collection is now tradable on Nifty Gateway on the marketplace. Oh, wow. Which, nice. Yeah, which is exciting. And the second exciting announcement is the Nifty Gateway solo Genesis uh, crypto degenerate rave lord vector meldrew three piece drop both exciting well, we're really excited for you man can't wait to um promote and hopefully jump in there getting in on a drawing on the 12th thank you thank you so much yeah i appreciate your time you know talking about all these things so yeah 100 and we'll have to check out um your work on um defiant news yeah Bi-weekly show, just talk, just talking about different NFT projects, different guests. I'm more of a co-host, uh, just asking fun questions here and there. Robin, the main host, is, you know, I think he's really good, really good host, really good filmmaker. He's really breaking down a lot of these complex topics about crypto. And he has guests on there, um, but he'll ask them hard questions. He, he, you know, maybe he'll make sure he asks the questions about, you know, so much of this stuff. There's so much weird crazy you know nefarious things and if guests come on he'll ask those difficult questions so it's it's a very good learning experience for staying up to date with this whole ecosystem definitely have to give that a look add that to the rotation definitely he's just done it he's he's doing a little thing at the moment where he's just going deeper into this environmental debate uh he recently went to the arctic and he's been interviewing the gaming community who has, who he is isolated as, you know, you get all this NFT hate and he, he feels that the majority is coming from male PC gamers, um, hmm. probably off the back of websites like Kotaku, you know, who famously did that NFTs are dead just before the massive rise last year, also just constantly publishes um, negative NFT news. Uh, but the gaming community seem like, well, at least the, the male PC gamer community seem like the biggest enemies of the NFT community. Well, not enemies, but just, you know. Detractors. Um, yeah, they're really against it, which he's found quite funny because obviously PC gaming rigs also use quite a lot of energy, weirdly. So um, there's definitely some interesting things that he's exploring there. Awesome. We appreciate your time. Uh, Vector Meldrew, April 12th, Nifty Gateway, be there probably between 6.30 and 7. That's usual time, right? think so perfect yeah awesome well appreciate the time thanks a lot cheers tyler take care thank you cheers, yep. guys. Bye. damn that's nifty that's nifty that's nft that's a nifty, nifty NFT.
That's nifty, that's NFT That's a nifty, nifty NFT For his fears he leaked a plan Exula worked on Iron Man How cool is that? Mad Dog Jones, the dude so fine He hand draws every single line I sure as hell didn't know that Fuck Render built the gallery To raise new artist popularity What a guy Much lag like a nomad, all his belongings in a single bag. All these things, can't you see? I learned all that's NFT. That's NFT. That's NFT. That's a nifty, nifty NFT. That's nifty. That's NFT. That's a nifty, nifty NFT. That's nifty. That's NFT. That's a nifty, nifty NFT. That's nifty. That's NFT. That's a nifty, nifty NFT. Damn, that's a nifty NFT.